we have history, people would say. By the way, my wife said, she said no more than two minutes, David, no more. Well, that's, that's all you need for an introduction. So, But I told Al I might have to encroach a little bit on his sermon. But uh, My first experience with Al basically was when he was involved with me. I, I taught industrial arts for several years with an emphasis on metal machining and power mechanics. And uh, Al was one of those guys that appeared in that classroom and, uh, pretty regularly. Uh, but we're getting a little ahead of ourselves. Paul, or actually, uh, Al came to know the Lord right here in this church under the ministry of uh, Ernie Hodla. And I just, and that's been a special, been a special thing to us. I, uh, over the years, we, we came to know him not just as a student, but as a friend. And as he started out, we, uh, there's some things, and I, I'm right, he, had his, he has kind of a, a rather interesting thing in terms of explosions, and I'm not going to go any further with that, but... Uh, um, Al went on to, he actually went on to, uh, during Ernie, Ernie's ministry, went on to uh, the Word of Life, and uh, uh, Ernie had suggested that he take a year of Bible before he went on. His intention was to go on to the Air Force and, and become involved in terms of aircraft maintenance. Well, I think he got sidelined. He met Mickey while he was there, and then the Lord started to deal with him, and the next thing we know, uh, I may not have all this totally straight, but uh, he wound up in Moody, and then he wound up with the av the, uh, the jungle uh, aviation thing. And long story short, he came involved with JARS, which, if you may or may not know, is the flight division of Wycliffe Bible Translators. One thing about Al, he uh, he never does things by halves. He qualified both for fixed wing with stall equipment. Uh, I've seen some pictures of some of the place he flew in, you know, something less than 900 feet on an angle going up a mountainside with the uh, equipment. And he also qual qualified with, for, with, uh, with helicopters, certain parts of those. And the thing about those, when you're in those programs, you not only learn to fly them, but you learn to fix them. And that's a pretty amazing feat when you stop and think about it. But that was where he was with it. Spent several years in the Philippines, and I imagine when he get to be 50, uh, the the physicals get pretty tough, so they found another job for Al. He's done, he's done several things with him that I'm aware of. He, he did general contract work for a project in, in Manila while he was there. He did their uh, computer setups in several, several different areas. Um, and now uh, he's currently flying all over the world working in, in security for Wycliffe. Um, I got to just remind you of a couple things that happened while I had him. He actually won, when, during his senior year, the state championship or honor award in mating machine parts. He, he built a model of a pulse jet, and I hope he never fired that thing off. You know, I just, but anyway, he, he had that capability. He also was way ahead of his times in terms of crossbows. I remember him experimenting with a, with a truck spring out back, and there was a lot of room behind the stool at that time, and uh, somebody was talking about shooting their crossbow at 85 yards. The one that Al had just got started at 85 yards. You know, it was just, it looked like a, something that was about to happen that shouldn't have happened. But, but anyway, I, I bring you Al Williams with joy this morning. Al and Mickey, would you just stand, Mickey, with him at this point? Just, uh, these are... 
these are dear friends, and I just thank you for the opportunity, and I've been looking forward to introducing them. Appreciate it. So I thought back of how in the world can you bring 46 years into about 30 minutes? I want to start by taking you to the scriptures, because that's where it all starts. You, you may have had many people over the years speak to you about that parable that Jesus gave of sower and the seed. So that's where I'd like to start, because I think all of you know that. But imagine someone who's coming back, really coming back home in many ways. So Jesus, in front of a crowd, this is going from city to city, speaking about that parable. And this is an agricultural area. I'm, I'm sure most of you have had gardens. I know a number of you are farmers. Where that's a tremendous livelihood of spreading the seeds out across the soil, seeing them grow, and then harvesting those crops. I can still remember growing up on a little farm, going out into the wagon after we just threshed a load of wheat and getting a handful of that fresh wheat and, you know, scuffing off the last little bit of husks and eating that right out in the field, pulling an ear of corn off of a corn stalk, even the field corn. Yes, you can eat field corn. And enjoying that. There's a sower that's out sowing what Christ described as the Word of God. But, you know, as he scattered those seeds, where'd they go? You remember the story. Where'd the seeds fall? Some of them fell on a path, a wayside. Some of, the, some of them fell where the weeds grew up, and some of them fell on good ground. So seeds. But I'd like to give you a different perspective of that. As I think back over the last, since D is not here, we won't go back quite so far, D Mitchell and I were in Miss Frenzel's fifth grade class, so I think she's, as I think about it, she's probably the one that I've known the longest as part of this congregation. Seeds. But it wasn't just about the seeds, it was about the story of what happened with those seeds. You see, you go into 1 Corinthians in chapter 3, there's a lot of controversy going along. You know, some saying... I follow Pastor Wiggins, and others, I follow Al Williams. Now, it was actually Paul and Apollos. And then Paul said, you know, that isn't the point. You see, I came and I planted these seeds of the gospel, and Apollos came along and watered those seeds, and they began to grow. But who gave the increase? Who gave, gave the harvest? God gave the harvest. It wasn't about Paul, and it wasn't about Apollos. It was about God. Over the last few years, I've had the opportunity to spend some very close personal time with some dear friends just before they ended their lives due to serious illness, critical illness. And in both those situations, the words that came out of their mouths as dear children of God said, you know, it's not about me. It's not about me, it's all about him. And so as I think about what Paul said here in this story, I think that's what he was seeking to get at. This, this whole story of planting and watering, this, the point is it's not about me. It's about the Lord Jesus Christ. So as we get into this story, just please remember with me, it's not about me. But this is a story. 
about many things that have happened over these years. It started with an accident. I know it wasn't the one Dave was talking about. We'll get to that in a little while. It was an accident that Brenda had, and I warned her this morning I would try not to embarrass her too much. But when she was in grade school, out on the playground, just over here, not far away, she injured her leg. And it was a serious enough injury that uh, mother decided she really needed to have a wheelchair to be able to get around the house. You remember that? Oh, uh, yeah, now we got it coming back. Good. Anyway, so calling around, we were not part of a church family. We hadn't been in the area all that long, living on a small farm up north of town. She started calling around. Who, where do you get a wheelchair? How do you borrow a wheelchair? Don Wittenberg had a retirement home nearby here in those years. Some of you may remember Don. He's been gone for a number of years now. And he said, sure, I'll lend you a wheelchair. Well, he brought it out to our farmhouse, and who do you think came along with him? Ernie Howdala. Ernie was a youth pastor here some years ago. And I was there, and Ernie was there, and Don was there, and anybody who knew Ernie, Ernie was all full of energy, and he said, hey, do you know Jesus? And I said, um, well, I know who he is. Well, is he your savior? Well, no. And they left shortly after that. But guess what Ernie did? He prayed and he came back time after time after time. And after some time, and I so much appreciate the music this morning. You know, Sophie's singing, you know, not your will, but thine be done. And Paul, I really appreciate that, Paul. Because just as I am was a story that I gave to Ernie. He says, I, I'm not really ready yet. There's some things I need to get straight in my life. And Ernie said, no, that's not the way it works. You can't do that. You need to come to Christ just as you are. And I did. I came to Christ and asked him to forgive my sins and to accept me as his child and my Savior. And you see, that seed that Ernie planted the seed of the word of God, the gospel, began to grow in my life. And a short time later, out in our barn, the farm, uh, Ernie gathered the youth group together. They hung a sheet up on the side of the barn. And you, any of you remember those old projectors, not video projectors, but film projectors with the big reels? And we showed a film to the youth group up in the farm. And it was about a group of five people in a far-off place 1956, so 60 years ago this month, or this year, in January 8th of 1956, that five men gave their lives to reach a group of people out in the jungles of Ecuador. And those five men, in giving their lives, sacrificing their lives, shook the world. That was the first Christian film I had ever seen. And I had forgotten about it for a number of years. But the one thing that came back to me over and over in those later years is a statement by Jim Elliott, one of those people, who said, He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. You ever have things that echo through your mind, scripture passages or statements that just won't let you go? I think that's some of the things that stands out in my mind as Pam played great is thy faithfulness. And understanding the faithfulness of God that comes out in this kind of a statement 
for a group of men that were willing to do that. Well, as time went on, I had the opportunity to join Dave in the shop classes. I took every shop class they had, and they didn't have quite enough, so I stayed on as a student uh, teacher for another year. But the focus was to learn and to grow. I just really was seeking to understand where I was supposed to go. Ernie, through a, a discipleship program, a mentoring program, was working with me. And then there came a day that really touched my life in some very serious ways. I think all of you have seen these 55-gallon steel drums somewhere. Well, this was 1971, I believe, and it was an exciting time. The ecology club at the high school was really getting going, and they had gotten some drums donated from a company, and they were going to get them all fixed up and painted and make trash cans and put them around the various places around the school so everybody could participate in cleaning up the environment, taking care of things. So a dear friend, Dave, <laughs> gave me the assignment of taking these drums that were sitting in the back of a pickup truck behind the school outside and cutting the tops out. So I got out the cutting torch, got it all ready, got up in the back of this truck, and, and the way a cutting torch works is really hot at the end of it, and you, you put it on the steel, and it burns a hole in it, and you push this lever that sprays pure oxygen in that burns the steel away, and you go around, and it all cuts the steel out, and the top belt falls in. Well, I cut the first one out, and it was kind of messy. It took a little bit to get it all done. And moved on to the second one, moved into the place, started cutting it, and I could, I'm leaning over this drum, and I have this face shield on, and I'm looking down there, and this little hole opens up where the torch is starting to melt the metal, and I press on this lever, and it sprays in this pure oxygen into this drum, and it exploded. Now, drums about this big around, and it has a nice thick steel top on it, the top left the drum, went over the top of the two-story high shop building, and landed 500 feet away in front of the school. Now picture, picture this scene. This is indelibly etched in my, my mind. I'm standing there with this torch in my hand that's been blown out. Um, the teacher who had driven the truck up to get these done is standing by the end of the truck holding his ears. So I'm pretty sure it ruptured his eardrums. Dave comes running through the shop out the back door and looks down at me and says, God must have something special for you to do. <laughs> now, I don't remember a whole lot more about that day, but those words have stuck with me for a lifetime. And that plant was watered and nurtured through those words and through that life. Ernie, as Dave said, was very much connected with Word of Life. Word of Life camps, he then left, about 1972, he left the church here to join Word of Life as a missionary. His focus was going overseas, and indeed he went to the Philippines to start a Word of Life camp. But Ernie's mentoring and urging me was, you know, going to the Air Force and being an aircraft mechanic, that's okay, that's no problem. But you really need to get some Bible training before you launch out into the world like that. He said, Word of Life, 
now has at that point in time a one-year Bible Institute. So just one year, it's not like you have to go forever. One year, go out to Scroon Lake, go out to Pottersville where the school is, take this one-year Bible training, you'll be much better prepared to stand for your faith when you go in the military. So with a $33 Greyhound bus ticket in hand, two duffel bags with most of my worldly possessions all packed up, I got on this bus in Saginaw, said goodbye to Mother and Brenda and Robin, and headed off on a 33-hour journey on Greyhound. Anybody been on Greyhound recently? Yeah, there you go. So a $33 ticket and 33 hours later, I arrived in Pottersville, New York. Now, the plan was I was supposed to arrive during the daytime and somebody would be there at the bus to meet me, and you know, we'd all go, and that would be great, right? Well, actually, I arrived, I'm like, 7 o'clock at night, and it was dark, and the person at the place, the little restaurant thingy where the bus stop, bus stops, said, um, wow, well, it's, it's that way, pointing down the road in the dark. And so I went around, got a bus, and I opened, and they opened, and my bags were not there. <laughs> so with my little hand carry bag, which had like four ties in it, yeah, I even did wear ties back at that time, and that was about all else, uh, I walked down the road in the dark, seeing if I could figure out where in the world this Word of Life Bible Institute was. And about a half mile later, I found the campus and, uh, and settled in there for the next year. Three major things happened in my life at Word of Life. Many things happened, but for the sake of the next six hours that you don't have, um, three major things happened. One, I found in that darkness what you sang about this morning. Thy word is a lamp to my feet. You see, often in this story that I'm laying out for you in my testimony and what the Lord has done, there was no road map that said in the next seven years these are the places you're going to go. Often one step at a time that a light would open up and show the path ahead. Slowly, bit by bit. I'd like you to have that burn in your mind very clearly. This isn't about knowing God's will for the next 40 years. It's knowing God's will for the next five minutes and trusting in that great faithfulness of our God to care and to continue to lead as the time goes by. While it was the word of life, this man came, Ron Maines. Ron has been a pilot with the Marines. He had flown overseas, Vietnam in that era, was decorated. And he came to tell us about the work of Mission Aviation Fellowship, how the pilots flying into remote areas around the world using their skills as pilots, the mechanics serving by maintaining those aircraft, reaching people with the word of God in remote places. Remember, my focus, my direction had been to consider going into the Air Force to be a mechanic. I said, wow, that's really interesting. That's really something. Wow, I wonder if I could do that. And a seed was planted by someone I've not talked to since then. Ron has moved on to several other jobs after several years in MAF. But that seed was planted. 
a thought to consider. One day, we were meeting at the Word of Life Inn, which is a different place from the Bible school, and Jack Wurtzen, who was the founder of Word of Life, was speaking. There were so many people that the students weren't even able to sit out in the congregation like this. We were back, and I was back in a hallway by the kitchen, but I could still hear what was going on. And though I don't remember what he was preaching or speaking about, it was as if the heavens opened themselves, and a word of God came to say, you know, Al, I gave you some skills and some abilities, some talents, but I really want you to use those to serve me, not serve yourself. Maybe you've heard those words or something like that from God himself, yourself, but those are one of the things that stuck with me so much that that was a major changing point in my life to say, Lord, I've laid out this plan. I'm planning on going and getting a position in the Air Force and learning to be a mechanic, and I get out and get in with the airlines, make lots of money, have a nice house, and you know the story. And he said, no, that's not what I have in mind for you. It was a short time later that we had a movie night for the students, and guess what was showing? And all the memories of that film shown on the wall of the barn through Gates of Splendor and those five men who gave their lives to reach out to a people group that were despised. The people in Ecuador called them Aucas, the savages. They called themselves the Wairani, the people. And that seed was watered and began to grow of where I should go. But it goes on even further from there. Another life-changing event happened in my life. A meeting Mickey Schertzer. A young lady who at a young age had given her life to Christ and had felt called to be a missionary nurse. We worked together in a release time Bible class. We had one day a week off and we took part of that day to go up to Scruton Lake and have students come over from the elementary school and to teach Bible lessons in a little restaurant across the road. As we got to know each other and shared our desires for the future, that relationship began to grow. Major steps, major changes. In January will be our 40th anniversary. So when I heard about Mission Aviation and I asked around, well, where do you go to learn about that? I mean, who, who teaches that? I'd never heard of Moody Bible Institute. All I knew of Moody was there used to be in the foyer in the old, the old sanctuary area, there was a rack that sat on a small table on the right-hand side by the door going out. Moody Monthly Magazine was sitting there. That's all I knew of Moody was Moody Magazine. And people said, oh, Moody Bible Institute's where you go. You go to Moody Aviation, but, you know, not very many people get in, so don't bother. I said, well, um, gee, if that's, that's where God wants me to go, I, I, I guess I better apply. And so I applied. And somewhat miraculously, apparently, I was accepted. And so I headed off to Moody in Chicago. Now, imagine this. This is a guy who grew up on a little bitty farm north of Carroll, graduated from Carroll High School after surviving Shaw Elementary School. Um, and I find myself in downtown Chicago. 
and then traveling by bus out to West Chicago to teach uh, a Bible school program out there as a, a Christian service program. Wow, that was crazy. Mickey actually was there uh, for our first year, and we were engaged at our Christmas time that first year, which shocked everybody. They thought we had just met six months before, but it had actually been two and a half years. If it's for me, I'm really sorry. <laughs> so Moody in Chicago, first missions conference. You have missions conferences, you know what it is. All the missionary representatives come in and they tell you about the work that God is doing around the world and how incredible it is to seeing lives changed by the gospel of Christ as they come to salvation in Jesus Christ. Well, what touched my heart was a missionary kid MK, who was there, also in the aviation program. His father was a Bible translator in Mexico. He said, yeah, I want to work with Wycliffe. I said, okay, why? He says, well, that's being a part of a team, translating the word of God into the language of people that speaks directly to their hearts. And then even when the missionaries can't be there, they have God's word in their own hands. And I thought about that for a long time. And I thought, that makes a lot of sense. I'm not a Bible translator. That's not the gifting God gave me. But I can work with my hands. I'm working toward being able to fly that airplane and later fly the helicopter. And I can do those things that help those people to be able to translate the Word of God. And along the way, see lives transformed to translate the Word of God. And another seed was planted in my life. That passion towards seeing people's lives transformed through the translated word of God, and that maybe I could, I could help with that. And through those times of Moody, there was a lot of pruning that went on. You ever been pruned? I bet you have. <laughs> and it's not always fun, is it? Sometimes it hurts a lot. But in that pruning comes growth. Nineteen seventy seven, Mickey and I were married up Pennsylvania in the middle of a snowstorm. Uh, it was uh, shocking. I almost didn't make it. My best man didn't actually make it. Uh, he came that night of the rehearsal, and uh, we didn't have a rehearsal. We had a rehearsal Saturday morning, married that afternoon, and there was a continuing ice storm. It was really quite a time. But who gets married in January? Well, it was us. So we were married, and we moved back here. And one of the significant things in our heart or reason for moving here is because we wanted to continue to be part of this church. We were blessed to be able to work with the youth group, to be part of the program here for that 16 months until we moved to East Tennessee. Now, have any of you been to East Tennessee? There you go. So you'll understand what I'm talking about. You know, missions, we talk about local missions, we talk about foreign missions, now often we talk about cross-cultural missions. Well, this was one of our most significant parts of training, is live, moving from here in Michigan to East Tennessee, it was a serious cross-cultural experience. 
We knew we were not home here anymore when the neighbor lady ran out her back door with a shotgun to chase away some of the other neighbor kids. It was, it got your attention, it really did. So through that time, learning how to be an aircraft mechanic, working on all the airplanes you see in those pictures, learning to fly all of those airplanes you see in those pictures, it was stressful. Mickey had gone back to Pennsylvania the year before we were married and trained to be a licensed practical nurse and so worked at the Carroll Hospital, which is, I guess, right there. So gaining experience, working with the church, serving in the hospital. And more water was poured on this tender growing plant of where do we go now? And there was weeding. Ever had the weeds pulled out of you? That's painful. How about their little twigs snipped off? That can really hurt. We applied to and were miraculously accepted by Wycliffe Bible Translators. And after about a year's worth of training and developing a partner team to help financially and prayerfully support us, we left for the Philippines. Do you like nice, hot, steamy showers? You know, you get in the bathroom and you turn on the shower up full and it's just the mirror. You can't even find the mirror, let alone wipe the mirror off to see yourself. When we landed July 1st in Manila and the airplane door opened and we walked out and to walk down the steps, oh, that is exactly what it felt like. And we knew we were home. We left with these two little boys who were born in Tennessee during our seven years we lived down there. Jeremy's the bigger one, Justin's the little one. Guess who's bigger now? <laughs> Justin's about 6'4", and Jeremy's about 6'2". And uh, Justin has two uh, stepdaughters now, and Jeremy has four. Uh, do pray for Jeremy. They're 8, 7, 5, and 4. Um, it's a whirlwind. Mickey and I stay and take care of them sometimes. But dear, dear children, we went to a foreign place. In Asia, that little brown section in the right-hand corner, the Philippines. To the mountains in the north, out to the islands, way out over the water. Flying that airplane and that helicopter. For what purpose? Why did we do that? To be a part of a team. Remember, it's a team. Seeking to translate the word of God into the language of these people. So that they could have a book? No. The book isn't the issue. So that their lives could be transformed by the translated word of God. So it wasn't about flying an airplane. It wasn't about flying a helicopter. It was being a servant. Fixing a generator for some folks up in a place called Mangali. There we go. Playing mailman. If there's ever one most serious mistake a missionary pilot could ever make as to show up at somebody's remote place and not have mail, it could be deadly. You don't want to do that. To see the Word of God translated into a language that I'll never understand but spoke so penetratingly to their hearts. To see a light come on. I've been in some places... One, particularly this one flying a helicopter in and landing in this one remote place staying overnight and you could feel, feel the spiritual darkness the bondage that the people living there were in 
due to the bondage to the spirit world and to see how the light of the gospel comes in and just rips that away. See, those people living in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, the light is dawn. It's one thing for me to stand here and say that and to tell you about that. I wish I could take every one of you there and have you experience what it's like to go out to a place like Agataya Island, a small traditional church on that island where at Christmas time the little children marching up the aisle of the church in English that they don't understand, marching up the aisle of church in English, singing, I saw mommy kissing Santa Claus. As they came up to the front of the church to kiss the baby Jesus in the manger. And I'll get rid of all these warnings. There we go. Now they have the translated word of God. And I heard just a little while ago one of the newsletters from the gals who used to work there. They're having a Bible conference centered around that translated scriptures on that little island. I used to say with or with them, I wired the electricity in their little home, hooked up to a solar panel so their computers could run. Serving from the coastlines to the mountains, serving the translators and serving others in the community. This is a group of people who serve at a hospital in a place called Tinook, about 5,000 feet up in the mountains. You notice they're wearing coats. You don't wear coats down where we used to live. Being able to plant seeds in their lives as well. You see, it's so neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who makes things grow. And that's so important, so important to remember. It's not about me. It's all about him. You see, there's a harvest out there. These rice fields, it's up in the Ayangan part of Ifogao. Gorgeous rice terraces. When the harvest is ready and the grain is full and the stalks and it's cut down into sheaves like this, my mind goes to those places where I've been. To see lives transform from bondage to that spirit world to a light in Jesus Christ that is indescribable. Because there's a harvest that's happening right now. In Sunday school, we talked about it. Are you seeing growth in the church in Asia? Yes. And in many places, it's not foreign missionaries anymore. It's local people who have come to Christ as their Savior, who have studied the Word of God, who have even gone to school in some places where that's possible. And now they are reaching out to others with the gospel of Christ. To see places like this in Majakayan, where the New Testament was just dedicated a couple years ago. I used to fly in there, help Ignacio fly in, building materials of the helicopter so he could build a house to live there and work on this translation. Scriptures in Ambon, Indonesia, damaged by water, where they were. this man came and took a whole bunch of them, and all for weeks there were scripture portions hanging from the fences as were drying out because they treasured having access to the Word of God. you have an Easter service, maybe a sunrise service and a morning service here? This is East Nug country, a place called Devaga. 
used to fly in there with a helicopter to help bring in supplies to build this church building. You're looking from the pulpit area out the back of the church. Big windows open up. They have an Easter week celebration, seven to eight days long, where people come in from a day or two days hike away. If you'll notice those pillars in the background, that's the back of the church. So they had to open up the back of the church and put tents out in the distance because there's so many people that came. This is a group of people who live their lives as headhunters, feared by the people in the area, who now welcome them in to a celebration of Jesus Christ. These men, the airplane in Indonesia, some friend was flying them out to a new place. These were all men who had come to Christ as their Savior and were compelled to reach out to others with the gospel of Christ. And as he wrote in his letter, they were afraid. They didn't know where they were going to sleep the next day, where they were going to get food to eat, but they were going to take the gospel to that new place. So it's not about just foreign missionaries. It's the transform lives by the word of God is compelling people to reach out around them. Rundle and Judy Murray, I used to fly out to Babuyan Island over and over. See that little island is spread across the top of the wing of that airplane? That's Babuyan. It's about two miles north to south, three miles east to west, rugged little island, the most difficult airstrip I ever flew into. The winds across the water up here were just incredible some days. There was one day I couldn't get any closer than 40 miles away because the turbulence of the wind blowing across the island was so rough. I couldn't even get close to the island. That's the airstrip. That was actually one of the long ones. But you land and have to make a turn because the airstrip isn't straight, but it's longer. More stories, but we don't have time. But landing in that airstrip a few years ago when I was still flying, bringing in people for a celebration, dropping the people off, I went back to another city, picked up a load of 750 New Testaments, 750 pounds of New Testaments. Flew back in, and when I circled over to land, of the 500 inhabitants of the island, 300 of them were surrounding the airstrip waiting for me to arrive. And for that next week, they put on skits and gave testimonies of what had happened. In this skit, they're telling about how they lived in fear of the spirits and how the spirits oppressed them and how the coming of the gospel set them free. They had Bible reading competitions, and all the young people were competing for a copy of this New Testament. Transform lives where that's an island over those years. I saw the jungle rolled back, the spiritual oppression rolled back. And you know what they're doing now? Besides the elementary school, the high school they have there, and now a, a clinic of their own, they're sending missionaries out to other places in the Philippines because of what the gospel of Jesus Christ has done in their hearts and their lives. My role is a little different now. I have this long title of Security and Contingency Coordinator for Asia. And what my role is is to keep those people as safe and secure as possible to keep them working in those remote and difficult places. So I spend a lot of my time in meetings like this. This was a strategy meeting in Bangkok, Thailand. This is teaching just this last uh, January in Bangalore, India, teaching personal safety and security to the teams working across India. Meeting people from around the world. This man is from uh, Central Africa. We got to know each other at one of the conferences. Teaching in 
uh, that was in Papua New Guinea. Remember that story, Through Gates of Splendor? You imagine those individuals who murdered those five missionaries because they were afraid of them? One of the stories that came out of that are the reason they were afraid. But afterwards, they realized that these men that had come were really there because they loved them. And many of those Warani came to know Christ as their Savior. This is Minkai, who became a, an evangelist. Not all the Warani came to Christ, but he did. He was one of the men who killed those five. That's what transformed lives look like. And as we think of ways that we have seen God around the world, changing lives, it is thrilling to have seen that. And as I said, I would love to be able to take each one of you out there to see and to feel and to taste and to hear it for yourselves. Perhaps you've gotten a little bit of a glimpse from this. But I want to leave you with a challenge. I've talked about Dave. I didn't include Joyce because of the time, but, well, I will anyway. You may remember a little girl in your, one of your classes when I was a senior. We came to help one day. And remember, she is the one that always sat in picture after picture, drew pictures of Red Flintstone. That's where I learned some real compassion as I watched Joyce day after day pour her hearts into these children. Where are you planting seeds in the people around you? You may scatter seeds out there of the gospel, and it may fall on very hard hearts that you never see the fruit from. You may find some that seem to perk up and say, yes, that's for me, and then they fade away and disappear. But that's not your problem. That's in God's hands. But the opportunity to be the one who plants the seeds of the gospel in the lives of the people around you, as Dave did, as Ernie did, as Joyce did, to water those lives with encouragement and blessing, just like you listened this morning to Paul and Sophia, Pam and the others, lead us in worship of God through music. Because it really is about that watering and pruning to watch God bring the harvest because that's his. But we're not spectators. Christianity is not a spectator sport. You may have never heard that. Maybe you have. It's not a spectator sport. You need to get in and be a part. Because for us, it's all about seeing lives transformed through the translated word of God. That's what keeps us going. And it's not easy. But that's what keeps us going. Because just as I am, this is all I have. And what I have has been given to me, to us, by our Lord. We need to use it for him, because it is all about him. And I'd like to take just a moment and pray for you. Let's pray. Father, I do thank you so much for the opportunity to be here, to open your word, to remember so many blessings you've provided over the years, how faithful you are. Lord, I thank you for each one here. And I pray that all that we've talked about this morning will 
just pierce their hearts that they can see themselves that uh, they are the ones who have the opportunity to plant those seeds of the gospel in the lives around them to water those tender tender shoots of faith to be encouraged to see you producing the fruit of the gospel in the lives of those people Lord I praise you so much for that and look forward look forward to seeing what you're doing here we thank you for that Lord Thank you, Al, for sharing how the seed of the gospel is planted in your life, watered, how God gave the increase. How do you plant somebody's life? You tell them about Jesus. Tell them the gospel story that comes straight out of the word of God. Would you turn your hymnals to 297? And I hope this is true of you, that you love to tell the story of Jesus and his love. Let's stand together while we sing, and I pray we'll go out of here challenged, ready to plant in somebody's life, to water. And what a joy it is sometimes we get to be involved in the harvest as well. 297, I love to tell the story. help us to get out of this building and faithfully do that. Lord, I pray if there's somebody here with us this morning that uh, has had the seed of the gospel planted in their life, maybe it's been watered, but they haven't responded to it yet. I pray they might even surrender to Jesus Christ today. And Lord, help us each to be faithful in planting and watering, looking to you to give the increase. Help us just be faithful in what you want us to do.